the Force is strong in my family. I have it. The Tauntaun has it. And I suppose these guys have that power too. It's the Digiguys! Please welcome the fully armed and operational Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Hmm, Corey, thank you. Now please, tell us, who sent that in? That was sent in by Makoto Tsukushima. I fixed that line for you, Makoto. You're welcome. Well, there we go. I guess there was some uh, some some minor Star Wars reference that Corey out-nerded on and was... Anyway. Uh, so what is this that I'm eating now, Mark? Well, Wade, I was in uh, London and Paris Yeah. for a week. Yeah. And uh, my friend... It was my birthday. Yeah. I was uh, born on Bastille Day. Yes. French Independence Day. Uh-huh. My friend, uh, for my birthday, yeah. got me a big hunk of nougat from Provence. Which is where I used to live. I used to live in Provence. That's right. So this yeah. is nougat from Provence. So do you like the nougat from Provence? I do. You know, and you know what? I'm also a really big fan of Ted Nugent. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I got cat scratch fever and all that. I really like okay. that. Okay. Ted Nugent is not known for cat scratch fever anymore. No? He's known for being a political nut job. Really? <laughs> yes. He's ultra liberal. Really? Yes. Unbelievable. He loves all people. Wow. Cat scratch fever. He loves all animals and all people. I, I, just, I, I left off with cat scratch fever. I just remember, you know. Exactly. Ted, Ted. By the way, you're talking about uh, Star Wars. And can we for a second mourn the end of uh, a Star Trek as a yeah. movie franchise? Yeah, it's done. It's over. Uh, even though they announced another one, which they always do. You ever notice? That's a, yes. that's a studio tactic. It's a studio tactic to sort of, um, whenever there are, there are rumors of the, uh, the demise of a franchise... They will always announce the new one before the current one is even opened. Oh, yeah, we love it so much, we've already greenlit the next one. What? what? Oh, really? What? Really? Greenlit oh, wow. Or... I'm going to have to watch that I'm if you have... love it so much. <laughs> that means nothing to anybody. It's just, it's the weirdest, it's like, it's the strangest political tactic. It's, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything to anybody. There's no one out there who's on the fence about a Star Trek movie that goes, oh, wow, really? But... So they, but they greenlit another one. Well, that must mean this one is so good that I have to go see it. No, no one does that. I know. No one does that. Although the next one, which will never exist, uh, supposedly features uh, Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, as uh, yeah, George yeah. Kirk. Yeah, whatever. That'll never I'm happen. I'm sure that'll be wonderful. Exactly. Um, so, anyway, by the way, before we uh, friend, start. A friend of mine was one of the original writers on the current one, and I, I, uh, which I, I thoroughly hated. So I'm going to have to. I'm, I'll probably bump into him at some point in the next four to five weeks, and I'm, I'm just going to have to find out. I'm just going to say, dude, really, did anything that you wrote make it into this film? Because yeah. if so, I'm afraid I just I can't know you anymore. Not of Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is. If he took a crack at that script, I'm sure Paramount thought, oh, my God, Scotty himself, Simon Pegg, yeah, hilarious, right. you know, all the uh, the lad Arnie. films. You know, he's he's going to knock this thing out of the park for us. I mean, I, here, here's the thing. I know that there was a framework for where uh, Bad Robot wanted this to go originally, uh, which was how what orc he godfathered. And uh, I suspect that that was a framework that was signed off on. And when Orky walked, then, uh, you know, everybody who kind of stayed on had to sort of paint within those lines. That's my guess. Well, look, in the broad strokes... Oh, it's dreadful. No, no. In the broad strokes, I get it. Screw the Enterprise. Break up the main crew. Put them on a planet. Have them just talk it out. It's fine. I am just so tired of... I mean, how many times... First of all, they keep trying to make a Star Wars movie. They, They keep trying to turn Star Trek into Star Wars. The Enterprise is not the Millennium Falcon. I'm tired of people 
pretending that it is and trying to make it behave as if it's some giant Millennium Falcon. I'm also tired of crashing and destroying the Enterprise. Could we stop it already? How many times has the Enterprise three. been... Okay, that's insane. It was in Star Trek uh, uh, three, <sighs> Star Trek uh, Generations. I think it was Generations. One where it crashes into the planet. Yeah. Like the saucer crashes into yeah, the planet. Yeah, that's great. And then this one. Stop it. Just stop it. Don't do that anymore. They're not. They shouldn't be action movies. They're not supposed to be action films. They're thoughtful. That's what they're supposed to be. By the way, can I thank yes. uh, Tim Cogshell, ladies and gentlemen, for yes. holding down the fort while I was away? And how was London. your how was your 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 vacay? It was fantastic. I yes. spent four days in London. Mm-hmm. Spent four days in Paris. Went to a fantastic uh, Stanley Kubrick exhibit. Oh. In London, called yeah. Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick. Now I thought. Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick was a – it's an exhibit in London. It is about uh, 25 to 30 artists mm-hmm. um, interpreting Kubrick's work in their own personal style. And I thought, this sounds stupid. Mm-hmm. It's probably some guy who's going to put a Hitler mustache on Malcolm McDowell and call it uh, art. Yeah. Turns out this thing was fantastic. Fabulous. Unbelievably good. I took a lot of uh, pictures, a lot of video. Nice. It's called Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick. If you're you're in London or or love Kubrick and just want to know about it, you should Google it because I thought it was a total winner. Fantastic. And I ate a lot of food. The stuff you showed me before the show was really quite cool. Yes. Very cool. By the way, you know, it was my my birthday on Bastille Day. Yep. had a fantastic birthday. Great morning. Great afternoon. Great early evening. Get back to my Airbnb, and 84 people are dead in Nice. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that sucks. I start getting all these texts from uh, family and friends saying, are you in Paris or are you in Nice? Where are you? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, look, thank you for texting, but Nice is 600 miles away from Paris. I'm fine. Man, that was... But it still casts a pall over the whole yeah, country, obviously. But you know, it's, it it's funny now, because that was the third terrorist attack in 18 months there in France, and so yeah. they mourn for like... 12 hours, yeah. and then they go on with their day. You know, you know it's like World War II, right? You just, I mean, you, you, eventually you get into a battle mentality, which is where, you know, it's like being in London during the Blitz. Well, bombs are going to fall, but you've got to live. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's stuff, for example, I mean, if you want to talk about that mindset a little bit, there's stuff in uh, Kenneth Brownlow's amazing David Lean biography. Speaking of, we have a couple of books we're going to mention today. What? Top of the show. Got a giveaway, too. What? Some listener mail. Music. All kinds of fun stuff. Television, you name it. But uh, giveaway, yes, I said giveaway and two books. But there's uh, uh, some stuff in the uh, Kevin Brownlow, David Lean biography when Lean was shooting his, during the early part of his directing career was during The Blitz. And he was making a lot of those, uh, you know, those sort of British programmers in, um, in studios in London. And meanwhile, there are air raid sirens going off and bombs blowing nearby. And just to give you an, a, a sense of how committed David Lean was to the craft, he would sit there, and everybody else would be afraid that a bomb was going to hit them right there in the soundstage. And he would just be, you know, cursing and really annoyed that uh, the shaking of the building had interrupted a perfectly good take. You know, that was his. He was purely focused on get this movie made while there are bombs falling all around them. Now, what and would I thought, Brett, there you go? What would Brett Ratner had done have done in that? Situation. If uh, Brett Ratner were directing a movie and bombs went off, what would yeah. he do? I don't know. He'd probably, you know, he would he would climb underneath the nearest table, and uh, and, and cower like a, like a coward. Um, perhaps be every man for himself. Yeah, yeah, perhaps, perhaps true. But you know what? I'm not going to rip on him too much anymore because he's not really directing movies. He's putting money together for really good movies. Yeah. And every time I see Rat Pack on a movie now, I'm kind of excited. I'm like, this is a good movie. 
Yeah. I'm glad you went out and found the money. I'm, I be a, Don't direct. Just be a financier. Be yes. a mogul. I am perfectly content with him being a mogul. You have Annapurna. He is... And you have Rat Pack. He is enabling the production of some really amazing movies. I agree. So all, a lot of the, the nasty things that I've said about uh, Brett Ratner in the past, I kind of take him back because he's, <laughs> he's redeeming himself for me. Um, yeah, he's, he's facilitating some great stuff. I, I, think it's, I think it's a good thing. I think those nasty things you said about him actually forced him to stop directing. You were the one. I guess I was who the forced one. him to stop directing. So, okay. so, so, yeah. So, uh, Zack Snyder, please become a mogul and go get some money. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of, we're going to talk about a couple of Zack Snyder things today too. Uh, first off, though, I want to talk about a couple of books, Mark. Books. We got a couple of books. One of them, I want to plug this uh, phenomenal legal thriller. It's called Doubt by C. E. Tobisman. C. E. Tobisman, who happens to be a very, very good friend. And uh, I, frankly, I am, I am plugging this not just because it was written by a friend, but because it really is terrific. And I am not a legal thriller person, by the way. I'm not a, I, it's Scott Turow, Grisham, I've read those things. I, they make me want to shoot myself in the head. It never really makes sense to me. Scott Turow is just so dry and dull. Um, but what's really great here, this is the first of one presumes to be a series uh, based on the exploits of a, an attorney named Carolyn Auden who has a, a bit of a shady background as a hacker and is trying to redeem herself as a, uh, as a young attorney. And uh, it's, it's kind of like Nancy, Nancy Drew with an edge and grew up and got a legal degree. And uh, the story here is actually quite cool. It's, uh, it all centers around investigation into a, uh, you know, there's like this GMO conspiracy going on, right? And you got to get to the bottom of it, right? Like, that's what attorneys do. It's like if you're poisoning people, it's like uh, the Aaron, Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich, right? It's like an Aaron Brockovich deal. And uh, so, you know, she has, it's sort of, you got to go, you got to dip into your bag of tricks, your old hacker bag of tricks to uh, enable your new bag of tricks as an attorney. And you got to kind of, you know, use the dark side to enable the bright side. Anyway, um, takes some really interesting turns, some very clever twists. Great character, by the way, the Auden character. So I highly recommend Doubt. Go on to Amazon and grab yourself a copy of Doubt by C.E. Tobisman. Very, very happy about that. And then also this, as long as we were talking about Kubrick earlier, is pretty cool. Have you read this? Do you I even not. know about this? I do not. You don't even know about this? I do not. That's amazing. I thought this had crossed your radar. So as though there aren't enough uh, Kubrick books out there, uh, there is a new one, Stanley Kubrick and Me, 30 Years at His Side. Uh, this is written by Emilio D'Alessandro, along with Filippo Olivieri. Now, Filippo Olivieri, one presumes, is the, the ghostwriter who, uh, you know, actually made it work like a book. And uh, Emilio D'Alessandro uh, was one of Kubrick's assistants. Now, I think, as we all know, Kubrick had many assistants, and the one we're most, uh, most aware of is... Uh, his brother-in-law. Well, no. Well, no, but, but uh, uh, Lord Bullington, which is... Uh, right. That was his name. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. I'm I rusty. I, I know him as Lord Bullington from, uh, from Barry Lyndon, but uh, anyway. So, um, here's the thing. You, you see a side of Kubrick here, which is um, rather... Oh, how would I put this? Um, it, it's human and humane, but it's also not from the usual perspective of people who worked with Kubrick. Like when, if you read most Kubrick biographies, they are very—they're reverential, but they also sort of Leon Vitale. Leon Vitale, thank you. 
They're, they're also I should know that because I've met I the know. guy a half a dozen times. Uh, they're they're also very they're they're very reverential, but they're also larger than life, and you sort of get Kubrick painted in these broad strokes. And you don't. Uh, this is like the mortar between all of that stuff. This is the guy in those moments when he's just being a dude, when he's just being a guy, when he's just being Stanley. And the nice thing is, is that uh, Emilio D'Alessandro is so unassuming. He really is. He's a very sweet, unassuming man. And he was Kubrick's personal assistant forever. I mean, for years and years and years. Uh, you know, from Lolita all the way on through, you know, the 70s. It's really, really quite fascinating. And uh, his, his background is great. He started as a, as, a, as a race car driver, right? And there's a whole weird trajectory how he, how he comes to, to Kubrick. So um, I, I recommend that. It's, uh, it fills in a lot of interesting blanks. And uh, it shouldn't be a standalone biography, but if you've read any biographies of Kubrick, especially the, uh, what's the one the, with the silver cover, the first one that came out. Which oh, is, I have that one. Oh, my gosh. It's good. Just, well, well, it's, it's it, movie, it, just, it takes each movie it, as its own yes, little chapter. Except for the part where he's describing each and every photograph that Kubrick took during his career at Look, which is just infernal and forever. And you just go, really? I don't, are you really going to actually describe every photograph because they didn't give you the rights to reprint them in the book? You don't need to describe every photograph. A man is standing next to a... Oh, my gosh. It's endless. But, no, if you've read any of the other uh, biographies, this one is a, is a wonderful compliment. It doesn't really repeat anything. It's really a lot of fun. So uh, that is Stanley Kubrick and me, 30 years at his side. Sweet. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, speaking of... Um, as long as we're going to sidewind, sidewind from this a little bit, the uh, we've been talking on the Facebook page about Stranger Things, which we will, of course, talk in more detail about when it finally comes out on DVD or Blu-ray or what have you. But Matthew Modine, of course, you know, worked with Kubrick, Full Metal Jacket, and so forth, now has a uh, a wacky head of white hair, and he's he's creeping me out. I'm having nightmares about. He looks his good. Hair. No, he does look good. But how much of Stranger Things have you watched? Just the pilot. One episode. Oh my gosh, you have no idea what you're in for. Really? You, oh my gosh, you have no idea. It's good. Do you realize on No, let me tell you this. When you go to IMDb, IMDb has their little movie meter and their star meter. On their movie meter, yeah, when it counts down like, you know, the, in the tops there there's the Star Trek movie and there's Justice League and Wonder Woman and, you know, and and uh, go whatever. Number 1 is Stranger Things. It's more popular on their movie meter than movies. And when you go to their star meter, 4 out of the top 11 spots are actors from that thing. Three of whom are not Winona Ryder. They're the, they're the kids. They're those kids, those the crazy, kids and the those, girl. Those, like weird, goofy-looking kids. Yeah, the two of the two of the boys and the, and, the, and the girl. I mean, they're like the people. They're no names. And who they're are the bl- Duffer Brothers? Who are those people? I have no idea. I've got to do some research on this. This, I mean, this thing is just kicking a double dollar signs. It is amazing. <laughs> did you say a double dollar signs? Where did you get that from? I sure did. Why don't you just Dad say ass? Because you know it's kicking dollar signs. That's why. Well, I, again, anyway. I I, uh, I enjoyed the uh, uh, pilot, and as I said on the I Facebook page, by the way, as I said on the Facebook uh, page, by the way, pro tip: yes, when you're going through Netflix, from one episode to the other, don't read their synopses. No, don't. Because I did. I know. Don't. And then episode don't do eight, I, I won't say what it is, but don't worry, I won't oh say what gosh. it is. Episode eight, it's like, and so now that the aliens from Voltron have come down, I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> Why'd you put that in the description? Yeah, they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty great show. It's a pretty great show. All right, all right. It's worth right. worth 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 rocking. You know how I am. Like I I watch no I TV. Yeah. And then I'll watch one episode of something, proclaim it good or bad, yeah. and that's the end yeah. of it. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. It's really good. It's all right. Really speaking of good, good stuff, wait. All right. We have not uh, talked let, about anything. No, we haven't. We're so not talking. We're not starting. I have not done this show in a month. We're not okay. starting with that. All right. Fine. One show start. with that over there. 
Okay, fine. Jesus. We're talking about Star Trek. We're going to knock off on TV. Uh, Star Trek, you know, the, uh, the, the whole Star Trek box set thing has gone completely to Mars now. And uh, Star Trek Next Generation, the complete series, Next Generation complete series in a complete box set. All the other seasons have been released and uh, independently. So now they said, okay, let's just crank that sucker out. And they put a, a two giant keep case uh, set together, which is uh, fine. It's sweet. It's got all the stuff that's already pre- been previously released, including the uh, reunification. Uh, it's 25 years after Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then Star Trek: The Next Generation inside the writers' room, and all the all the other fun extras that are part of this. So, um, you know, uh, the, the thing that amazes me is the original series had how many episodes? I think there was about 79. Uh, se- and yes. 78, if you, you know, unless you include the menagerie as two parts, which makes 79. That's theoretically how we always do it. 78 or 79, depending on whether you count the menagerie as two parts. Nerd. There are 176 episodes of Next Generation. Correct. 100, almost 100 episodes more. Is it as good of a series? Is it 100 episodes as good as the, as the original? You know, he, he, Are there as many memorable episodes in those 176 as there were in the original 79? Well, okay, there's, there are many, many answers to that, yes. and we, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. Okay, um, I will say that The Next Generation completed its creative mission better than the original series. I would agree with that. But I will also say that there are more memorable episodes of the original series only because we had to watch those same damn 79 episodes for 15 years or whatever mm-hmm. before the movie came out. Whereas True. in Next Generation, during that time, we had, all, we had other Star Trek series, we had a billion reruns, we had films, it's all sorts of stuff going on. Right. So it's kind of a, a, it's a, it's a, it's a two-part answer. All right. Don't you Fair agree enough. with me, Wade? I guess I do. I just, I, I just feel like it's very, very hard for lightning to strike twice. And as much as I love Next Generation and a lot of the episodes, I think, okay. Uh, and sure, I'm a total nerd for the original show because it's nostalgia and it's what I grew up with. But the original show, uh, I, I a could, lot of the episodes I could, sucked. I'm sorry. They I could did. name, I could name at least 30 episodes that I think are just among the greatest hours of television in history. <laughs> I'm not sure I can come up with 30 legendary hours of Next Generation. I could probably come up with, you know, 18. It's like James 20. Bond. It's just not either your James Bond is Sean yeah, Connery exactly. or your James Bond is Roger suppose. Moore. I suppose. But anyway, I have the UK version. I've, I've had the, U, the region-free UK release of the series yeah. for a while now. And uh, I have to say that the packaging is really flimsy on the UK version. And yeah. on this version, it's a little better, a little sturdier. Yeah. But uh, the UK one, the only thing I don't like about it is that it's really flimsy packaging. Oh, well. So uh, let's talk a little Soderbergh in this uh, here, if we could. What? Uh, yeah, uh, on a couple of points. Uh, I'll let you go first. Well, we have a uh, season one of the Girlfriend Experience. This is on Stars, the uh, the little the little little paid channel that could, which is about of. to be about to be purchased by. Not John Malone, the other guy. Uh, yeah, the other guy. No, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, to, to, uh, why am I drawing a complete because blank? Because you're old and you forget things. Yeah, I do. No, they're um, they're uh, about to be folded into Lionsgate. The, thank you, the uh, the Lionsgate Television Empire. Um, um, anyway, so this uh, follows the, the what's her name, Christine. She's a second year student at the at a law school in Chicago, and uh, she enters the world of sex work. 
and it is an expansion based of on the book or the uh, the, the, movie. the movie the movie this is expansion of Soderbergh's 2009 film which starred Sasha Gray a film that I enjoyed very much mainly because I love Soderbergh and everything he does Soderbergh who has of course famously kind of retired at least from directing yeah uh, he EP'd this and um, you know I I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that I really wanted to see, you know, 87 episodes of The Girlfriend Experience. I think a film was fine, especially when um, it's being directed by someone like um, Soderbergh. But, uh, yeah, people like this thing. It's come back for it's coming back for a second season, although she's uh, – Riley Keough, who played the, uh, the call girl in season one, yeah. uh, will probably not be in it, which yeah. uh, I thought was kind of weird. That's what um, Star's president uh, Chris Albrecht said at uh, TCA – um. Anyway, so yeah, so girlfriend experience, um, not bad. I would just as soon watch the movie again. And then uh, also Soderbergh branded is uh, the complete second season of The Nick on uh, Cinemax with uh, Clive Owen. Um, you know, uh, I, I gotta say, I didn't. I really wasn't sure where this thing would go in a second season. And for those who don't know, it's uh, you know uh, about takes place in the you know turn of the century, turn, not the turn of the last century, but the turn of the century, like 1900 turn of the century, and uh, in a in a hospital which was more like a torture den in 1900. The hospitals were not what we know them to be today, obviously. And uh, it uh, deals with the politics and the excesses of that very, very primitive medical environment at the time, which is a fascinating backdrop, and especially the, uh, the fact that um, the Thackeray character played by Clive Owen is such a, such a really just vile, troubled character. I mean, he's, he's l- kind of likable, but he's got you know, his own issues, his substance issues and his life issues, and he's, you know, not, he's, he's, not a, he's not a completely clean character morally or psychologically. And that's interesting. Um, the the whole the whole kind of almost uh, gothic medieval vibe to the thing was a, it's a it's still a little bit oppressive for me. But the style is great. The backdrop is great. I love the period. I think uh, they recreate it beautifully. I think the whole concept is really cool. And uh, you know, heaps of bonus features here. The uh, the show just. Um, I'm wondering where it's going to kind of go. I, I, the second season still it's 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 as good as the first season. But I don't know. Have you watched any of it? Seen the name? No, I have not. Although I love Clive Owen and, and, and I love uh, Soderbergh. Yeah, it's. Um, so it seems like something I would watch and like. Yeah, yeah, I'm liking it. Not as much as Stranger Things, though. I'll tell you, <laughs> Stranger Things. I'm all about Stranger Things. My exactly. gosh, that is a great show. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen double feature, by the way. A uh, little thing here from Mill Creek. Couple of. Uh, Where did that come from? I thought, huh? we're doing, I thought we're doing TV. We are. This is TV. No, it's not. These were both on TV. You made that up. These are original TV productions. Fine. I just want to plug this on. in real quick. Carry on. Uh, for those who enjoyed uh, the uh, the uh, animated monster success of Frozen, that is, of course, based on the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale Snow Queen, which has been made into a movie probably 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 or 150 times. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Uh, the uh, there's a uh, there's a version of that that stars uh, Bridget Fonda, believe it or not, which is about three hours long. This was a Hallmark Hall of Fame deal in about 2002, and uh, from roughly the same period is uh, Hans Christian Andersen, My Life is a Fairy Tale, with uh, Kieran Boo and uh, supporting performances by James Fox and Simon Callow, which is a nice little you know kind of uh, biopicy thing. Not as cool as the Rankin Bass, uh, the Daydreamer, which is the one I grew up with, which has animation and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, it is engaging. It certainly is quite accurate. Not the Danny Kaye movie either. But so anyway, you get Hans Christian Andersen, My Life is a Fairy Tale, and Snow Queen on a Hans Christian Andersen double feature from Mill Creek, courtesy of Hallmark. 
Uh, Wade, uh, Confirmation, which is the HBO film about uh, the 1991 Clarence Thomas Supreme Court nomination hearings and uh, how Anita Hill got roped into that in memorable, infamous fashion. Uh, this thing is okay. I have to say that uh, this has been the year of some great O.J. Simpson docudramas. Oh, my gosh. They, we, we're revisiting all that era, aren't we? But I have to say the O.J. stuff is fantastic. This seems – it's funny. You know, FX really upped the game on that kind of stuff. So when you watch something like Confirmation as completely professional and polished and well-meaning as it is – it just plays a little unadventurous, a little milk toast, kind of flat, but uh, it's still a great story. And Kerry Washington, who uh, you know is um, becoming a little too synonymous with scandal, uh, does a good job reminding us that she can do more as um, Anita Hill. And uh, Greg Kinnear is in this, which I thought was you know because uh, having known Greg for many years, I still think it's really weird to see him in anything because I just look at him and laugh because he's so damn funny. Um, anyway, so this thing is uh, it's very well-meaning. It runs a bit long, um, but it's, uh, it brings up a lot of important issues of race relations and gender equality and political maneuvering, stuff that is still very relevant today. And uh, so it is worth it on that basis, confirmation. Not much um, Not really. uh, in, in the way of special features, but yeah. still. So here's what's awesome. Key and Peele, the complete series. So now that these guys have made it, and they have made on it. On Blu-ray or DVD, Wade? On DVD. Wah, 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 yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Now that they've made it, and they're only going to be doing features now, and Keegan-Michael Peele, for crying out loud, he's in everything now. Have you noticed that? He is all over movies. Not Star Trek. I mean, we're going to be talking about their feature film here shortly today as well. But he is all over movies. He's in everything. Not I, Star Trek. No. He is in two, he's been in like three movies in the last six months, and he has two coming out in the next six weeks. It's crazy. You guys are working nonstop. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But Key, on the other hand, is uh, not showing up all wow. over the place. He's kind of uh, holding it back a little bit. But still, they're genius. These guys are amazing. Uh, this thing reinvented the, uh, the sketch, it reinvented sketch comedy for television in a way that uh, it's like I can't even watch Saturday Night Live anymore. <laughs> after, uh, honestly, after what they did. Because, you know, Dean, our good friend Dean, Dean was in a, in a Key and Peele. And... He was? Yeah, he was in a campaign. And they, they shoot the hell out of those things. I mean, they are little mini movies. They don't just go out and, you know, do a, do a live sketch with the three cameras and, you know, some crappy sets. And, it, you know, it takes a few minutes. They will spend a whole day blocking, shooting, doing coverage for like a six-minute sketch. I mean, they will spend a whole day on just six minutes. I mean, they make it like a film. They do. They put an enormous amount of work into it. So anyway... They changed everything. Key and Peele are amazing. They're the best. Uh, I, I can't say enough about this stuff. Really, really smart. Super clever. Great satire. Uh, so incisive. Just do, They do exactly what you're supposed to do with comedy. Make people laugh, but think at the same time. Cannot say enough about this. Comedy Central really hit one out of the park. This is the complete series. Key and Peele from Paramount on DVD in a uh, single, not too thick keep case, but everything is there. So it's great. You get uh, the Van and Mike show and special features. Uh, the super episode, which includes best seasons of uh, one and two, and then uh, outtakes, which are always really, really funny. Oh, wait, uh, Blacklist, the NBC show, is a big, big deal in the first season. Oh, my God, everyone loved the Blacklist. Oh, yeah. Now we're on season three, and I feel like uh, it's kind of in that uh, tired, yeah, tired yeah. middle age yeah. where it's kind of fallen off the uh, radar of great yeah, shows. Yeah. Um, this one obviously picks up where season two left off, and uh, what's her name? Elizabeth is, uh, you know, she's a fugitive, and she's a fugitive with uh, with Red, played by James Spader, 
and uh, you know the FBI director uh, is under investigation. And you know what I like about, I guess, although I'm a little tired of the show, I guess what I like about this season is that it's nice to see the James Spader character, you know, on the run, kind of behind yeah. the eight ball. Like mm-hmm. he's not the smartest guy in the room all the time anymore. You know, so it's kind of a nice little turn for the character. Yeah. Um, and James Spader is always terrific. It's nice to see that that guy still gets work. Yep. Uh, where it's going to go now is going to be really up in the air. Season four mm-hmm. begins uh, hasn't begun already. It's going to begin begin real soon. Kind of wondering where it goes from now because it needs to kind of needs that breakout seri- season now. Because I'm feeling like it's starting to feel a little no, bit tired. It does. it does. And Homeland hit hit that that place as well. You know where you you. Here's my theory on that, and uh, oh, well, yeah. But my theory is, when they pitch these shows, the pitch is usually based on everyone knows that a show now has to have X number. At least it used to. There used to be a magic number of episodes that meant then you could go into syndication and the show could become profitable, right? So if a show it lasts like eight episodes, you can't really do anything, or you didn't used to be able to do anything with eight episodes. But if you got to 60 episodes, 80 episodes, whatever. You know, there's like there was like a magic number. Oh, three seasons, you know, we now it can we can, 100 was the magic number. 100 was a magic number, but once you get to DVD, then it was like, well, we could do something with this and syndication is so there's so many channels, we could sell it to X number of channels. And it's it's a little bit like a moving target, but there's always, you know, some mathematical equation of how many you need to hit. So when people pitch these shows, they pitch them up to the magic number. No, people will get hooked, and they'll watch it for this, and then you have this twist at mid-season, and at the end of the season, the cliffhanger, and that brings them back for the next season, and you do the little the little thing with the character, and they go, oh, I didn't see that coming, and that takes you to the next season's end. And they plan it out, and you sell it so that it sounds like, oh, it can't lose. People are going to stick with this for at least, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 episodes, um, which is a pipe dream. Nobody knows. The show could stink from episode one, and nobody cares. But that, at least in the pitch... And then I think when those shows actually make it to the air and you get to that episode, nobody has really thought it out past the point where you planned it originally and then you start treading water and the show falls apart. That's my theory. Speaking of falling least. apart, you know, this show fell apart about <laughs> eight years ago, as it turns out, and yet we're still doing it. That's yeah, amazing. Wow. Uh, so let's see. Uh, where are we at here? Uh, yeah, that's our... That's, yeah. Well, well, Person of Interest is a, a show that uh, is thankfully uh, finally off the air. They... Uh, Pull the plug on this thing. Um, this stars um, uh, Jesus Christ himself, Jim uh, Jim Caviezel. <laughs> and, you know, this thing never really took off. You know, it had uh, the, the the other Nolan brother behind it. Anyway, so... Uh, and, uh, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Nolan. Nolan and yeah. JJ's and all that. Anyway, so uh, this fifth season and final season, which is on Blu-ray... It's uh, it's abbreviated. It's very uh, it's very kind of uh, pulpy and it's wisecracking and that kind of stuff. I, I just think it's uh, a little frantic for me. Uh, people running around. There's like little computer screens all over the place. I'm just kind of was never really into the show. The show never really developed or became as clever as I think Jonathan Nolan wanted it to be and has been in the past. Um, so I do like the uh, uh, I do like Emerson. I think that guy's. What, 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 I forgot his first name already. The guy with the glasses, the nerd guy. Uh, um, I think yeah. he's super cool, but um, g- g- give him a show. Otherwise, I, I just don't want to see any more computer code flying across the screen. Not into it. All right, and I'm going to uh, plow through some British uh, television here real quickly, as long oh, as we're great. on the TV. Oh, great. I can thing. take a bathroom break while yeah, you do that. You do that. 
All right. We got a bunch of stuff cool from uh, a bunch of cool stuff from Acorn as well. Vera set six. Gotta love it. Brenda Blethyn. This is worth watching just because Brenda Blethyn is so amazing. Uh, if you love British procedurals and uh, British mysteries, it just, it's just doubly cool. Forget all that murder she wrote and Agatha Christie stuff. It's all about Vera, the amazing uh, chief in, uh, detective chief inspector Vera Stanhope. And uh, these are based on novels by Anne Cleves. Good stuff. Um, the one, there's one here that I always find very wonderful, which takes place in Yorkshire, uh, in the Moors, where the Brontes come from, and there's a there's a murder from the Moors, I which I just that. it's just a great uh, great setup, great backdrop. So that is a uh, another wonderful ITV production, and then uh, the Canadian show that just will not go away, Murdoch Mysteries, uh, season nine. If you've never seen this, it takes place uh, you know pre pre World War Two, the uh, the Edwardian period. And a lot of great crime-solving fun stuff here. It's, uh, it is effectively a British show. I mean, you know, it, it, it's 18 episodes here. The, um, the, one that, the thing that makes this just utterly weird and bizarre is, is one of the guest appearances in this season. Mark, season nine of Murdoch Mysteries will forever go down in history. And I'm going to show you the picture in a second because the, I don't know why, but they felt that they needed to publicize this because, to me, the picture tells you everything. There is someone who guests on this show as Mark Twain. Now, who possibly... I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm going to say it's Tom Selleck. I have no idea. Tom Selleck. Who is it? That Shatner? <laughs> yeah! That's awesome. Look at that mustache. Uh, William Shatner plays Mark Twain. Now, first of like all, he looks nothing like... He doesn't even sound anything like Mark Twain. Mark especially Twain if was you... like a... Like, that guy was as thin as a reed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shatner's as fat as a tuba. <laughs> it's... Funniest thing in the world. Anyway, Shatner plays Mark Twain. That, that alone is worth. If you've never seen a season, you can skip one through eight, and you can start with season nine and just watch this and, and marvel at William Shatner playing Mark Twain. And to be honest, it's not so bad. I, I, I'm almost afraid to admit, but he, he's he, he's actually pretty good. It's not really Mark Twain. It's sort of Shatnerization of Mark Twain, but totally watchable. Shatner only plays Shatner. <laughs> He kind of does, yeah. but he's so good at it. He is. It's, he's, it's so priceless. It's just. It's just. He's a treasure. He's a national treasure. Um, and then we also have uh, Janet King's series one, The Enemy Within. If you haven't seen this, this is worth checking out. This is a. This is a really. This is more kind of uh, legal stuff. British legal system. You know, uh, barristers and uh, you know wigs and robes and all that kind of stuff it's uh which is always fascinating to me because it's a very different legal system and uh when you know bates was on trial for murder on downton abbey that was sort of my first in-depth exposure to a lot of that stuff but uh this is really very cool and of course like everything else on british television or american television it rides on who is cast and marta dusseldorp who god bless her has not changed her name is really amazing. Look for her to uh, really, really start making some uh, making some waves in movies as well. I expect her to show up in some big features, British and American, at some point. So uh, when this, of course, has run its course, this is going to put her seriously on the map. Very, very well written, very intense, uh, very, very smart, and uh, not too a little bit like you know what I was saying about doubt. C. E. Tobisman's book Doubt. It is not. Um, uh, it, it doesn't uh, take you for granted. It assumes that you aren't as familiar with the legal ins and outs. And uh, it's very, very good, especially for, for the British thing. We talked about Star Trek Next Generation and the great Patrick Stewart, who shows up in 11th Hour, also from Acorn. Uh, this, is a, uh, this really all is entirely all about Patrick Stewart and his performance. He uh, plays a uh, 
kind of a scientist, like a, a forensic scientist for the uh, British government, and uh, he is kind of the guy. He's like the brains of the operation who has to sort of figure out who's doing what. You know, he's like a like a scientific forensic uh, detective guy, if that makes yeah, sense. Sirensic. Sirensic. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like CSI because it's not. It's not really CSI. It's all. It's all very uh, like uh, methodical scientific detective work, like a little Sherlock Holmesian projected into the 20th century. But, you know, Patrick Stewart, Patrick freaking Stewart, man, it's great. Four episodes and two discs here. Good, bit, good, serious, great British mystery stuff. And uh, co-stars Ashley Jensen, who I am unfamiliar with, but uh, have a certain admiration for after having seen it. Uh, and then lastly... The Hollow Crown. Some of us may remember that we talked about the Hollow Crown, uh, the original television production of it, which also featured Patrick Stewart uh, in in a part. Uh, when this came out, I guess about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, uh, and this is the um, this is kind of putting together the Shakespearean works of Richard the Second, Henry the Fourth, Part One, Henry the Fourth, Part Two, and Henry the Fifth. So that whole uh, that whole kingly lineage, that whole royal lineage, and those plays, putting it together in like a giant royal saga. Well, that has now been given not just the TV treatment, but the miniseries treatment, The Hollow Crown, The Wars of the Roses, Henry the Sixth, Part One, Henry the Sixth, Part Two, and Richard the Third. So um, this is a continuation, and it's on Blu-ray. And it features Benedict Cumberbatch, Hugh Bonneville, Judy Dench, and Tom Sturridge, along with the wonderful Sophie Okonedo, who, um, you know what, let's face it. I mean, you know, Sophie Okonedo would not normally get cost, uh, cast in Shakespeare because she's not white. But you completely forget about that watching this because she's such an amazing actress. You remember her in Hotel Rwanda, right? She got oh, yeah. an Oscar nomination? Yep. Phenomenal. So uh, we continue the, the, the original television thing into this great new Blu-ray miniseries, which has much higher production value and a uh, great cast. And uh, it's fantastic. I love this Hollow Crown stuff. Cannot get enough. I wish they'd release the, uh, the original in Blu-ray, but uh, they don't. And then uh, Jack Irish. Uh, big on the Jack Irish here. We've got uh, Jack Irish Season 1, both in Blu-ray and in DVD. And then Jack Irish, The Movies, which also features Marta Dusseldorp. And uh, Marta Dusseldorp uh, I'm much, is much more on my radar now, so I'm, I'm aware of her just generally the, in a way that I wasn't before. Uh, but uh, anyway, Jack Irish, of course, the real star here is Guy Pierce, And uh, Guy Pierce can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. He's just, uh, you know, this is, this is Australian for those that may not realize that Guy Pierce is Australian and everything Australian is Guy Pierce. But uh, it's really it's intense, it's gritty, it's tough, and uh, you know he's a, he's essentially a, you know he's he's a he's a detective, but it's he's the, he's the nastiest, meanest, dirtiest, toughest kind of detective, and I love it. Can't can't get enough of this. So, uh, Jack Irish season one and Jack Irish the movies, very cool on Blu-ray. All right, that's it, Mark. Shall we do? Can, you want to kick out this music? Because we we need we we have music fans that listen as well. Let's hit the music and then we'll uh, drop into the new movies and uh, enthrall I everyone. You're waiting. You're waiting for new movies, Wade. That I is, am that because is we have cruel. a giveaway. Because we have a giveaway. Oh, we do. We do. We have a giveaway. Make sure you put that in the metadata. I will. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yep. Uh, Wade, we have the return of uh, Ruben Blades. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying uh, his name is not Blades. It's Blades. Ruben Blades. That's what I grew up on. Blades. No, no, it's Ruben Blades. Um. He's cool. This guy, Ruben Blades, is a uh, terrific musician. 
He's also a terrific actor. You have seen him in many films, and you probably don't even know it. And uh, this seems great. It um, it's sort of like a, it's like almost like a visual essay about him and his life. It's very impressionistic. It shows how really smart this guy is. Um, you know, it's not even really. I mean, it's about his music. You know, but it's not really super focused on his music. There are some partial live recordings. Um, but really, it's uh, it, this thing starts at it shows you how, how how the designs that this movie has on Blades and who he is. The thing starts at the Harvard Law School commencement, right? Yeah. And so that means that you're in for something kind of special. It continues on to Panama, and then um, it lands in New York, and uh, it's really good stuff. I, I just think this thing was just terrific, and, and I was never even much of a huge fan of his music. I respected him more than I wanted to listen to his music all the time. But um, he's a cool guy. He's a cool musician. He's a good actor. He's lived a great life. And if you want to check out uh, Ruben Blades, uh, check out uh, The Return of Ruben Blades. Good stuff. All right. Hank Williams. The great Hank Williams. I am. Uh, I, I truly hate country music. But Hank Williams But rocks. I have to say that there's certain people like Patsy Cline, Hank look. Williams, some of the classics. Uh, these guys are just fantastic. Yeah. And so um, we have. Now, this is. Um, he is not Randy Travis. What about Randy Trav? Uh, he got arrested for running around naked, drunk, or something like that. By the way, wait, I, I just dropped something on the floor. <laughs> I saw that. Did you, wait, did you, did you hear that? <laughs> yes, it was the clumsiest thing I've ever seen. It's great. I, no, it it reminds me, that if, it, if it had been a bottle bottle, it would have been like the bottle sound at the beginning of Van Halen's Hot for Teacher. Remember, you, you hear that sound of the bottle hitting the, I want my pencil. Bonk, and then you hear a bottle hit the ground and roll. Who are you? I don't know. Anyway, this is... Um, uh, Hank Williams, The Complete Mother's Best Collection Plus. That mm-hmm. is what it's called. This is from the good folks at Time Life. This has... Um, Everything. 142 songs, 15 uh, uh, CDs. It's uh, got a DVD with a conversation um, with uh, Hank's Mother's Best Band. That was the name of it called Hank's Mother's Best Band. And the band include, includes Hank's daughter, Jet. And if you love Hank Williams, there's so much great stuff here. I mean, this thing is just... If you love country music, if you love Hank Williams, and you do not have this, I don't know what to tell you. Time Life, although we kind of make fun of them with the Time Life operators, and we kind of goof on them a little bit, they do come out with some great stuff. i got to say, there's nothing wrong here. So um, all the songs, uh, you got the DVD. Hank Williams, The Complete Mother's Best Collection Plus, definitely a must-buy for you country fans, of which I am not, but I do love Hank Williams. Uh, we talk a lot about the uh, Live at Montreux series. This thing has been around forever and ever and ever. And um, this is Live at Montreux, Paco and John. Now, wait. Yes. On July 15th, 1987. Yes. That's one day after my birthday. Mm-hmm. We had John McLaughlin and Paco DeLucia. Wow. These guys are virtuosos. Guitarists, Fantastic. And uh, this is a DVD, two CDs. The music is drawn from their uh, solo albums. And also they do some covers here by um, folks like Chick Corea and uh, Egberto Gismonti. And it's a great concert. These guys are great guitar players. They're very soulful. Um, I, I have to admit not being super familiar with them, um, when I pop this into my uh, player, but uh, now that I hear them, they're incredibly talented. So Paco and John, live at Montreux from 1987. Definitely a um, 
a good thing to watch if you love uh, guitar players, virtuoso guitar players, which and, I do. And then as long continuing our into music documentary for just a moment, we have an, uh, a Grammy-nominated doc here, The Greatest Ears in Town, the Arif Marden story. Arif Marden, for those who don't know, is one of those amazing producers who just sort of sat behind the scenes and produced hit after hit after hit after amazing hit and, you know, took no credit for it. Obviously, because you're not supposed to when you're a music producer, you just kill the hits and you let the uh, the you know the artists and the and the songwriters take all the glory. So, uh, Arif Martin gets a little bit of it back. Uh, it is this is a guy I was. I mean, there are some producers like Phil Spector that we obviously all know about because they you know were very famous at the time and went on to kill people. And um, this, but this is uh, Arif Martin. No idea. What an amazing story. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable skill at, at finding talent, picking talent, nurturing talent. Um, and when you see the, when you when you watch the doc, and they print a lot of the names of the you know the major acts that he was a part of on the on the uh, on the box. So if you if you see this in store, if you see the artwork on uh, online, you'll know it's just amazing. I mean, but everybody from Dr. John to Dusty Springfield to Aretha Franklin, the Bee Gees, Willie Nelson, all styles, all all you know, all over the map. This was not a guy who specialized in just bebop or pop or country or you know, soul or, or R&B or blues. And no, he was all over the place. Just an amazing figure. So uh, The Greatest Ears in Town, check that out, man. That is from uh, Film Movement, Fabulous Doc, Grammy-nominated. I'm going to call my company Bowel Movement. Yep, that's what you should do. <laughs> Wade, uh, Don Cheadle. Uh, Who doesn't yeah. love Don Cheadle? Uh, Guy's man. Don yep. And uh, Labor of Love, Don Cheadle directing the Miles Davis story, Miles Ahead. Yeah. Now, this one, I got to say, this is a risky film. And although I give him points for taking the chance, I don't know that the final product is uh, as great as he has envisioned. He's great in it. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, you can't, after you watch this, you can't imagine anyone. Don Cheadle inhabits, when he does biographical roles, he inhabits the characters in a way that is amazing and uncanny. Like I can't, I can't see anyone else do Sammy Davis Jr. ever again after he did that Rat Pack bit. I can't. I just, I'm done. He's, he is Sammy. Oh, it's Except the best. Even, even better than Sammy did it himself. <laughs> and here, I can't imagine anybody playing uh, Miles Davis in a movie ever again. That it, is it true. Just, I can't. He, he nailed it. He killed it. Miles Davis, of course, the uh, the iconic uh, modern jazz uh, pioneer, trumpeter, and what he really goes for broke here because. He has Miles doing things that he never did in his real life. I mean, there are car chases and shootouts, and and I have to say that the reason why it kind of works is because even if the actual facts are not there, somehow it all seems like it's almost like you, you, you're taking his life and you are using the themes of his life to tell this other story. Yeah. So the stories hew to the hew to the trajectory and the themes and what was important to Miles Davis, even if the facts are necessarily true. Yeah, but I'm good with so that. So it was the spirit of yeah, Miles Davis's I'm, life. I'm good with more that. More than it was a straight biopic. I'm good with that. It was a real roll of the dice, and I'm going to say results are mixed. Um, but I just think this thing is just. It's impressionistic, playfully so, uh, but it's not the biopic you are you might be hoping for if you love Miles Davis. 
I'm going to say that uh, right now, this this might actually be my favorite film of the year. I uh, it's it, we obviously have to wait and see. I but I can't imagine this not being in my top ten, maybe even top five. I love this film so much, and I'm so upset that it has not done better. And I don't know why. Uh, Weinstein marketed it well. I have a feeling maybe just. You know, the counter-programming idea of releasing this earlier in the year just wasn't right. People just didn't want to see this kind of movie. We're talking about uh, Sing Street, the uh, the new John Carney film. John Carney, of course, the Irish director who did Once. Love it. Oh, oh, the best. Oh, that's right. Best of all just time. The best. Oh, Love and it. then he went on to do an amazing movie called Can a Song Save Your Life, which for whatever weird reason, the, the I guess it was Weinstein who released that as well, the marketing people thought, mm, Can a Song Save Your Life? No. That's not really marketable. Why don't we go with uh, Begin Again? Something really generic that people will forget easily. Begin Again? What? Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway. Sounds like it was taken off, off, off a list of titles Kira, that Kira they Knightley, slap onto a film. Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo killed it in that movie. It was absolutely wonderful. Uh, and you know what? Sing Street, i got to be honest, as much as I love those movies, especially once, Sing Street is his best movie. This is better than both of those. This you, is so amazing. This is so wonderful. This is basically the story of a, you know, in 19, 1980s in Dublin, story of a bunch of kids, one kid in particular who's always, you know, it's always the one kid and then the buddies. And they're just, they're, you know, did not be picked on and to be cool and so that he can be, you know, he can land the girl of his dreams, that tough girl that lives in the neighborhood. Um, they form a band. And i got to be honest with you, man, the music thing, John Carney, he's nailed it. This movie has like five or six original songs for this kids band that John Carney co-wrote every that should be the entire category of original songs at the Oscars this year every single one of them should be the songs from this movie this movie should be competing against itself five times in the same category <laughs> they are amazing they are great the soundtrack kills this movie is the best if you have not seen string sing street buy the dvd Buy the Blu-ray. I don't care. Just get some form of this in your hand, in your house. Watch it. You will. Lo- I sound like the guy who's selling uh, some kind of infomercial junk, don't I? I remember. Sham Wow. Sham- I'm, I'm pitching Sham Wow. Sing Street. It will clean your car. It's amazing. I, exactly. I remember we when we well, we watched the trailer actually right here. I called it. I called it up on my computer. No, no. And we thought, oh, he's going to the well one too many times. No. Carney, he's gonna he's he's gonna blow it. Another movie about a bunch of crazy kids and they uh, and their music, but then it turns out guy so guy good. works magic. He's guy's a magician. He's a magical man. He's a magical man. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. <laughs> I can't. I just. I seriously. It's fabulous. So wait, did you like it? I loved it. Oh gosh, how I loved it. Okay. Um. Let's see. Let's uh. Let's just keep people. A little bit on edge. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, we got hey, some can fun. Can a podcast... By the way, I thought you said we had a giveaway. We do. We do. Should I get to the giveaway? Should I do yeah, the giveaway? I here? know. I, I think we should make people wait till next week. Well, let me... Let me let, let's hit a couple more of these. Okay. We'll just, we'll just hit a couple more. Uh, let me first... Uh, before I turn that over to you, let me just mention, as long as we're talking about Key and Peele, Keanu, which is Key and Peele's uh, big uh, theatric, uh, uh, you know, theatrical debut, uh, movie feature theatrical debut. Uh, they, look, Mark, they sent us a, a, a Keanu uh, uh, calendar. Uh, see that? It's Keanu you, know, calendar. You, you know what Keanu is? He's a cat. Yeah. He's so dumb. Keanu's a cat. Basically, here's the deal. So, uh, so Key... You're so dumb. So this is directed yes. by uh, Peter Atencio, who's, who's you know, directed like some of their stuff for their show. And uh, then uh, they produced it together. Key co-wrote it. Um, it is... Uh, um, or actually, I'm sorry, Peel co-wrote it. Uh, Jordan Peel co-wrote it. 
Uh, Keegan-Michael Key uh, co-produced it with Jordan Peele. Anyway, um, no, they are, uh, they are very, very funny in this. It's a very, very simple movie. It's got some weird little, uh, little you know, detours to it. But basically, it deals with a lot of really interesting issues related to uh, racial stereotyping and culture and in movies and so forth. They play a couple of guys. Well, one of them is married. Uh, the other one is not. And the other one is very kind. They, you know, we, they, they, the, the one adopts a cat. The cat winds up being kidnapped by local thugs and gangsters and they have to go undercover and pretend to be uh, someone they are not in order to get the cat back and they have to posture a lot and uh, all the stuff about stereotyping and, uh, and uh, ethnic you know, culture roles really, really very cleverly handled just like it was on their show incredibly funny the cameos are to die for the cameos will just slay you they are really clever and very smart also comes, this is on Blu-ray, comes with uh, Ultraviolet. I think it is absolutely terrific. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Oh, wait, I had no fun with The Perfect Match. Now, The Perfect Match is a, um, it's an Af- it's a romantic comedy featuring mostly African-American actors. And I have to say that, um, you know, uh, lame romantic comedies don't get better just because you no. put African-American actors in them. No. As, uh, although the whole cast is very likable. They're all very handsome and beautiful, yeah, yeah. very likable. Mm-hmm. The thing is that it's just really pablum. I mean, the thing is so predictable. Yeah. And right down to the to the wedding, it ends on a wedding wait. The last scene is at a wedding <laughs> because it's so predictable. Anyway, this thing is just it's just shop worn and cliched. And the uh, you know the only thing that gets you through it is the fact that the cast is so. It's again, they're just it's a very genial cast. Uh, Terrence Jenkins, who by the way. Um, I used to work with Terrence Jenkins, a very, very nice man, and he's good in this. But um, I, I, I just think it's just this thing is just predictable right down to the very last scene. And uh, as appealing as the cast might be, it, it just can't help. I just like a bad romantic comedy is a bad romantic comedy, whether it stars uh, whites or African-Americans or Mexicans or Chinese. I going to agree. Uh, the Invitation. I, you know what? I'm going to recommend The Invitation. This is on Blu-ray. This is from Draft House. Uh, this is a really, really sharp movie. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo set with digital copy, not ultraviolet digital copy, by the way, but uh, just regular run-of-the-mill old digital download copy generic stuff. Um, here's, the, uh, here's the deal here. This is a Karen Kusama who did Girl Fight. Remember Girl Fight? Girl I Fight do. was a big deal at uh, Sundance. So Karen Kusama made this. This is the second film from a collective of, uh, of, of investors that is making movies primarily to encourage movies directed by women. And Karen Kusama absolutely does Hitchcockian wonders with this, uh, with this, uh, with this thing. Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, who are a couple of uh, big studio hacks, they've written a lot of just you know big studio junk like the 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 um, drive along the ride along movies. Um, this is a like a spec of theirs, which suggests to me that they are much better writers than their studio stuff suggests. So here's the deal: you have a guy and a woman. Who uh, go a guy and his wife who go to a uh, a weird kind of reunion of old friends at the home of his ex-wife and her new husband and there's obviously this weird kind of little breakup thing you know when did the marriage end and why did it end which had to do with the death of their child and they couldn't get over it and that's seen a little bit in flashback but what's going on now is this weird reunion of old friends 
and there's like some weird religious culty thing going on. They've just gotten back from some, you know, uh, vacation in Central America where some kind of self-helpy, guru-y, culty guy has in- encouraged them to spread the word about the, you know, the, like the next step in life and all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, okay, this is getting really creepy. And man, they turn the screws on this thing right up to the end, and I won't tell you where this thing goes to. But it is, it is Hitchcockian brilliance, the way that Kusama directs this thing. It's a very clever script, but this enclosed space in this one house with this small group of people, absolutely terrific. I cannot recommend this more highly if you are a fan of thrillers from Draft House, a, uh, a really, really great, uh, really tightly directed movie, The Invitation. Uh, and I'm not that familiar with anybody who's in it, so I'm not going to name them. Whose turn is it? Yours. What? Go ahead. Talk about that thing. Oh, my God. No, wait. It's good. Okay. Puerto Ricans in Paris. Puerto Ricans in Paris. Mm-hmm. Stay, stay with me. This is a, a comedy about uh, two cops. Produced by. <laughs> you know this is produced by, don't you? Oh, this is produced by uh, some no. guy. <laughs> okay. some Go on. I'll, I'll let you describe it first, and then I'll and then I'll kick in the uh, the the, uh, the thing. All right. Well, I, I did notice that when I was watching it, but um, yeah. this is about these uh, two childhood best friends, and they're both NYPD cops, and they uh, they go to Paris to uh, track down this black market ring, and so it's basically about two Puerto Ricans in Paris, and I have to say. Luis Guzman is great. Luis Guzman yeah. is the man. <laughs> How funny is Luis Guzman in everything he has everything done? Everything he's ever done. Everything he will ever do. Luis Guzman is one of my... He's like he's like an Alec Baldwin or Sam Rockwell type. Yeah, he Everything is. he does, it's the just guy just I, just... I just smile when I look at him. I do too. I agree. So this thing is... Although, you know what? That being said, I think this thing is surprisingly pretty good. Uh, it's legitimately funny. It's kind of sweet. Um, and I just think, uh, uh, you know, they're endearing and they're funny. And I'm sorry, but um, I just think this thing is, was kind of cute. And I love Luis Guzman. What can I tell you? Okay, wait. Who produced this? Uh, Pitbull. <laughs> oh, Pitbull. Pitbull, the rapper. This was uh, one of his uh, kind of – he godfathered it. So I, I'm a big fan of Pitbull. I think he's cool. I, I, I think he's a cool dude. But I just think it's funny. You know, it's like everybody's – all these, uh, these athletes and rappers are all producing movies now. Everybody's producing movies. Well, look at, look at uh, I mean, 50 Cent, that guy doesn't even make music anymore. He I just know. does films. He I know. He stars in uh, – straight. a lot of them are straight to Blu-ray. Yeah. But, but, he's, but he's, he's making a lot. Yep. You know what? Um, quickly before the giveaway uh, – well, Mark, go ahead and I'll let you talk about the uh, – as long as we're on Paris, go and we'll, – we'll continue the Parisian theme. Wade, a very, very highly recommended animated film for you today, April and the Extraordinary World. I love this film. This takes place in Paris in 1941, and it's about these uh, scientists, and they're about to uh, make this uh, very incredible discovery about uh, you know human longevity. And I won't give any more away because that is where the adventure begins. I love this thing. This thing is just uh, delightful and exuberant and playful and fast-moving, and I just think... You know what this movie is? I just realized. This movie is what The Adventures of Tintin... Needed to be. Yeah. yeah. Or wait, what it thought it was. It's yeah. not. No. This, April and the Extraordinary World, this is yeah. the shizzle. I thought this scene was great. It is, it is just joyful and fun, and I love the animation, and the uh, it's got a great voice cast, Paul Giamatti, Susan Sarandon, J.K. Simmons, Oscar winner right there, along, of course, with um, Susan Sarandon. And, uh, yeah, I just think this thing is great. I, it's, it's got the animations great. It's got, like, a little steampunk vibe going on there. 
and it's just terrific. I very highly recommend April and the Extraordinary World. Pretty great. It is a, it is a really sweet film. Uh, you know what? Uh, we just lost a, a director very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Gary Marshall passed away, and uh, you know Gary Marshall hails from a generation of amazing comedy writers and producers and directors that is fast dying out. I also just recently watched the new Norman Lear documentary. Have you seen that? Oh, uh, another version of me? Yeah. I have not. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And they all come from the same era, basically. You know, this is that, that, there are very few of them left. There's Jerry Lewis. And by the way, it was Martin Lewis's TV show. That's where Norman Lear started, you know. He was a, he was a writer-producer on that show. And they show clips of him in that, doing that, you know, doing his shtick with uh, Jerry. And I mean, you know, we've got a few, a few like Shecky Green and, I mean, there aren't many left from that generation. Anyway, Gary Marshall hails from that same generation. He, w he touched golden television uh, in, in like three different uh, decades. And at one point he had, you know, uh, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And there was like something else that was a top-rated show at that time on TV. It's amazing. Everything he touched was like, it was like Norman Lear. He could do no wrong at a certain point. Uh, Gary Marshall's very last film was Mother's Day which a lot of critics dumped on. Now, I, I, full disclosure, a friend of mine was an executive producer on this, so I, I, you know, was, I was a little bit connected to this while it was shooting, and I, I got you know, occasional stories from the set. And um, y you know, a lot of people were ripping on this movie before it even opened, saying, oh, there he goes again. He did, you know, he did, he did Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve, and now he's doing Mother's Day. And people miss the point. Every one of these actors that's in this, Jennifer Aniston, Julia Roberts, Kate Hudson, Jason Sudeikis, and everybody else that's in this thing, nobody went to them and said, oh, how much money do we have to pay you to be in a Gary Marshall movie? They said, I'll do the movie. Pay me whatever. I'm going to do the movie. Because everyone wanted to work with Gary Marshall. People loved Gary Marshall. This is not a bad movie. This is a sweet movie that, that is able to deal with so many crazy issues related to the world, politics, race, parenting, war, don't ask me, you'll understand when you see it. All this stuff factors in, and you somehow it just winds up taking all the troubles of life and wrapping them up in a great big warm fuzzy. And the fact that Gary Marshall is gone, I almost, I almost want to cry because this is his heart and soul in this movie. I want to recommend Mother's Day. And, and watch it just thinking, this is heart and soul of a man who has just passed on, and God bless you, I love Gary Marshall. Oh, totally. I went uh, two weekends ago... I went to the Smokehouse. Now, the Smokehouse oh. is an old-school restaurant, yes. like red naugahyde booths and the whole thing, right across from Warner Brothers. Been there for decades. Mm -hmm. And Gary Marshall would go there for lunch two or three times a week. Yep. To the Smokehouse. Yep. And so when he died, they, uh, they put flowers and cards on his booth, because he had a booth. Yeah. He would sit at traditionally at the smokehouse. Yep. And so I took a picture of it. So they have, uh, they, it was his booth. There was a big flower arrangement there. There were, thank you, we love you, Gary, little cards there. And nobody's sitting in that booth for X number of days, because that was Gary Marshall's booth at the smokehouse where he would have lunch two, three times a week. Fantastic. They loved Beautiful. him. People yeah. loved him. All right, Mark, here comes our giveaway. You ready what? for the giveaway? Okay, the giveaway is Last Days in the Desert with Ewan McGregor playing Jesus. Ewan McGregor? That's it. So, uh, no, I am not going to ask you to put Jesus in the, in the subject line. I know that's a lot of people are thinking, oh, it's, I'm, you know. 
We'll just, we'll just do uh, Ewan. Put Ewan in the subject line. That way we will, uh, we will wait, find wait. it easily. Put you in the subject line? No. Ewan. E-W-A-N. So put Ewan in the subject line. That's right. Put in the subject. Just put Ewan. E-W-A-N. E-W-A-N. Uh, if you would like a DVD of Last Days in the Desert, we are giving away four of them. Four copies of Last Days in the Desert. Um, this is a this is an interesting film. Uh, you know, I'm I'm something of a a, uh, a modest expert in Jesus movies, and uh, this is one of the ones that I think is it, it's a it's a fascinating and unusual take. It basically deals with uh, a, a a portion of Jesus's life that is not really biblical. It is uh, it, it's you know the forty days of fasting and praying in the desert is glazed over. What actually happened there is not detailed. So this fictionalizes exactly what happened there. Now, Ewan McGregor is a, he's an okay Jesus. You know, he's a lot older than Jesus was when he died, so that, that part of it, you kind of have to suspend your, your disbelief. Uh, but uh, Rodrigo Garcia, who, you know, with, this was his passion project, wrote and directed it with um, some rather extraordinary cinematography by somebody who has won a lot of Oscars, just want to say that Emmanuel Lubetsky does the cinematography here, very lovely. And um, this deals with a this sort of creates a very uh, magical, realist interpretation of Jesus's uh, period fasting and praying in the desert with Ewan McGregor also playing the devil. Ewan what? also it's a double role. It's interesting, right? Holy Christ! Isn't that interesting? No. And uh, you also get in, you know, his interaction with a certain family and their struggles, and uh, it, it, it's, it's quite interesting and quite intriguing what they do. Uh, very interesting take. Really stands apart from most films that, uh, that try to sort of do this spiritual dance that this film does. Very mysterious but uh, hypnotic. And uh, I think people who have a, uh, an, a fascination with these particular kinds of films will enjoy it and appreciate the uh, take on it. So well, I'm surprised it's not on Blu-ray, but it's not. So the, uh, all we got on this are DVDs. Last Days in the Desert, go ahead and send us an email with Ewan in the subject line, your name and address in the body of the email. Please make sure that it is date and time stamped no later than August 5th, Friday. And uh, we will then alert you if you are a winner. We are giving away four of these, and then we will uh, pop these things. We actually have them in-house, so we will be sending these to you, and you will not have to uh, get them from, uh, from someone else. Which takes forever. Which takes forever, oftentimes. Okay, Wade, real quick. Uh, yes. Vigilante Diaries. This is a bad movie, Wade. Uh, this is a movie where uh, Jason Mewes, you know him as uh, yeah. the Kevin Smith guy, he stars as a video blogger. Oh, it's mm. so modern. He's a video blogger. Mm. And uh, he winds up uh, in the same orbit as this Avenger dude who yeah. calls himself the vigilante. And he thinks he's like a badass superhero type. But when he, when he takes down the wrong bad guy, OMG, Wade. Oh, no. The vigilante and Jason Mewes oh, caught no. in the crossfire. No. Cro- rival gangs. No. Unbelievable. Anyway, this is uh, cobbled together from uh, from pieces of a, of, a, of a web series, and it's supposed to kind of uh, be a Tarantino-esque, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction, kind of like uh, kick-ass, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. oh, look at us, we're being badass kind yeah. of people, but uh, director Christian Sesma, I, I just don't get it. I just It just feels like just a bunch of shootouts strung together. Yeah. It just doesn't really go anywhere for me. Um, also, what else do we have? 
Oh, I got I got three indies here. I should uh, kick out real quickly. Um, one on Blu-ray, two on uh, or one on DVD, one uh, two on Blu-ray. Uh, Louder than bombs was at Toronto last year. Uh, great cast here. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. I'm obviously not all that fond of usually, but he's he's good here. Gabriel Byrne, Isabelle Huppert. Uh, Amy Ryan, David Strather, and a lot of good people here. Uh, this is kind of a this is a um, a family drama uh, that does it, it's it, let's well how do I even put this? Um, Isabel Huppert plays a photographer who is deceased, but you see you see a bit of her in the in hindsight, and Gabriel Byrne is her survives her husband. And uh, her passing has wrought havoc on her two sons, one of whom, Jesse Eisenberg, is you know college age, and then the younger son is having a really hard time. He's like high school age. And the, uh, how, the, how the residue of her passing, this great photographer, um, how the residue of her passing and the mourning just sort of really, really wreaks havoc with this family and their inabil- the inability of the boys to connect to their father and vice versa, and the other people who sort of fall into the orbit. Uh, Amy Ryan, you know, falls into the orbit. It's a, it's a really interesting uh, psychological family drama, and I think it's worth checking out. Um, less worth checking out is Manhattan Night with Adrian Brody, which is a pretty straight-up uh, detective noir Except without sort of the the flashy and you know the, the the cool feel of a noir. It's not in black and white. It's not in another period. It doesn't. There's no distance to it. There's no exoticism to it. So it feels a little bit pedestrian. Brody is really good. He plays a uh, kind of a, a you know a gritty journalist who's drawn by this femme fatale to look into the death of her husband. And of course, you know, it winds up having all kinds of uh, horrible consequences for his family and for everybody else in his immediate circle. Um, eh, there's some good stuff in it, but uh, I don't know. It just doesn't, it never really quite becomes a great noir. It just feels like it's imitating a great noir. Adrian Brody and then Ivan Strahovski, who is quite good as the femme fatale. And then lastly, this was a big deal at uh, Sundance as well. I find it, I don't quite know how I feel about this, The Bronze, which uh, stars Melissa Rauch as a horrible human being. She was a bronze medalist in the, at the Olympics uh, for the United States gymnastic team, and she's been living with that glory ever since. She wears her little Olympic sweatsuit everywhere. She hasn't changed her ha- hair. She is mean and cruel and f- foul and profane to everyone around her. She expects to be treated like a celebrity all the time, and she's very demanding, and she lives in a small town, and her glory days are long gone, and she's still coasting on it. Man, she hates her dad. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And then uh, she has the chance to coach a girl to become uh, sort of the next her, this really sweet girl who she just proceeds to abuse because, of course, she's jealous and doesn't want anybody to take her glory or her fame as she is the most famous person in her town. In any case, um, it takes some very conventional turns and some unconventional turns. Uh, I think it's a really smart film. But when you have a character who is this hateful and dislikable, it's a really, really tough balancing act to make you kind of stick around for the full running time. So I can recommend The Bronze, but I'm just not sure that I really enjoy it. Uh, Cecily Strong uh, from uh, Saturday Night Live shows up. The great Gary Cole does kind of a bit of a variation on his, uh, his character from uh, Office Space as her dad. And um, that's The Bronze. Includes some deleted scenes. Sweet. Uh, Wade, um, uh, Nicolas Cage, as you know, has a, uh, uh, forged himself a fantastic career Ugh. as a straight-to-Blu-ray uh, actor. Yeah. Got a lot of tax uh, problems. Got a 
pay them off. <laughs> Good news is that for all the crap he's done, the trust is actually uh, better than a lot of the crap he's done, which is to say it's not as crappy. Now, Nicholas Cage, as you know, is great at playing these crazy, unhinged types. And here he is paired quite winningly with Elijah Wood. They play Vegas cops, and uh, there's a vault that belongs to uh, these local uh, drug lords, and they're going to take what's in the vault. And their plan sets off, uh, sets into motion the rest of the film. And so I have to say that um, Cage is funny and gets a lot of laughs. And he's just got the, he's got that whole nihilistic gallows humor of a cop thing right down. So the thing's pretty funny, dark. Um, I thought that uh, Cage and Elijah Wood r were really good together. Um, so yeah, I have to say that uh, the trust is a lot better than a lot of the crap that uh, Nicolas Cage usually does. And Elijah Wood, who of course starred in an Oscar-winning Best Picture, right, Elijah yep, Wood? sure did. Now he's doing this. Crazy, right? Poor guy. Well, you know, he's, he's taking some weird risks and just trying to mix it up a little. He, does, he can do what he wants now. I mean, I'm sure his piece of The Lord of the Rings is... Okay, he can do what he wants. The trust. Yeah, well... Unless he really wanted to work with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the last uh, new movie this week, before we wrap out with a little Zack Snyder and a couple of other interesting tidbits, and then we'll uh, put it to bed. Uh, the Lobster with Colin Farrell and Rachel Weiss. Um, the Lobster is from a director that I have a great deal of contempt for. I shouldn't say contempt. I'm just not a not a big fan of uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Is, am I pronouncing that correctly? He did Dogtooth, which was awesome. It's horrible. It's awesome. Horrible movie. Dreadful movie. Anyway, uh, Lobster this is the weirdest sci-fi movie I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's very, very strange. The the it, there's a there's a it's a whole human animal thing. It's like Logan. Okay, here's the thing. It's a little bit like Logan's Run, uh, except people turn into animals. Does that make sense? Instead of dying, you turn into animals. Makes sense to me. Okay. So anyway, uh, in, in, at some point in some weird alternative future, uh, you've got Colin Farrell who has to who has to, at the end of a certain period of time, uh, fall in love and, and, you know, start his life anew or he turns into a lobster. I, I don't know how to explain it, but Lanthimos is not uh, the most annoying director in this movie, partly because he has a really good cast. John C. Riley's in here as well. It's, it's, a, it's a really, really good cast. And, um, uh, yeah, I, you know, uh, check it out. Uh, this was in competition at Cannes and got some good notices. I'm not sure people really quite knew what to make of it, but it's on Blu-ray. And uh, worth checking out. And then lastly, Mark, on the, uh, the 4K front, because we have gotten, of course, the 4K release of uh, Batman versus Superman, in which the most interesting element is Wonder Woman, that's a problem, they have gone and they said, why not release all the other uh, Zack Snyder DC movies in 4K? So we have the 4K Ultra HD release of Man of Steel, which is uh, predictably still very shiny and wet and boring and dull. And I just think it's a horrible Superman movie, but it's, uh, you know, is the 4K Ultra HD impressive? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I you know, for all that CGI contrasty poop, you know, whatever. I just really intensely dislike this movie, but there it is. And then we have the ultimate cut of Watchmen on 4K Ultra HD. Uh, the complete story, which is um, actually even longer and more endless than the uh, director's cut of Superman versus uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, have you seen this ultimate cut of Watchmen? I have not seen the ultimate cut. It is 215 minutes long. That's why I haven't seen it. It is endless. It is interminable. I don't know who thought this was a good idea. I really don't. 
Anyway. I, I, you know what? The only scenes of that film that are remotely memorable to me involve Jack Earl Haley. Oh, true, right? Great to see him again. He's got Once. a great look. He's perfect for that role. You think I'm in here with you? You're in here with me. Yeah. It's the only good scene in that movie. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't need 200 and some odd minutes to, to make it work. Good grief. That's like Lawrence of Arabia territory, that length. That, mo- that story doesn't need to be that long. This movie's better than Lawrence oh, of Arabia. Oh, heavens no. And before we go out, I want to read something very interesting that uh, I think... No, it's not a Vox Box. It's not a Vox Box. And by the way, for Vox Boxes and mail, you can always email us at gods at digigods.com. But this has to do uh, with the, uh, the forthcoming Filmstruck, which, by the way, I'm going to be doing some beta testing on, so I will have some insights into Filmstruck. Uh, Filmstruck is the new, uh, ser- the new uh, service, the new uh, streaming service that is going to include TCM and Criterion. And we all thought, oh, cool, TCM and Criterion, my new home. I'll just subscribe for a few bucks a month, and I'll have full access to the Criterion collection and a lot of great classic American movies from TCM, right? That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? When, they, when Filmstruck, you're like, great, I, I, sure. Criterion, TCM. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, not at all. Then I find out there are other companies involved as well. And so this is what uh, I received from the uh, good people at uh, Flickr Alley. Josh over at Flickr Alley, uh, which, of course, releases a lot of great silent films uh, and has an amazing library from the Blackhawk Collection, David Shepard's Blackhawk Collection. This is what Josh wrote me. He said, uh, Flickr Alley's mission from the start has always been to bring film history to new audiences. That is why we feel honored and excited to join our esteemed colleagues at TCM, Criterion, Milestone, Kino, Zeitgeist, and Icarus in helping with the launch of Filmstruck. Let me point out, it's not just TCM and Criterion. It is TCM, Criterion, Flickr Alley, Milestone, Kino, Zeitgeist, and Icarus. That's like a murderer's row of uh, great independent films, films from that uh, is, history. That is breathtaking. That is, even, if, even if all these companies are not all in, even if they're only going to be very selective with what films they make available to the service, that is legendary right there. That is, that is a, a must-have service. So as, as I uh, get a look at this thing in the, in the coming weeks, I will uh, fill the rest of you in and let you know what you are in for, assuming that I don't have to sign an NDA or anything. So, gods at digigods.com. We'll see you guys next week.